Andrew was saying, um, I'm kicking off an Advent, uh, Advent series. And Advent is uh, it's the season, it's four weekends leading up to Christmas. And the purpose of this season for the church, the purpose is for us to prepare our hearts for the arrival of Jesus. Uh, the word Advent comes from the Latin word Adventus, and Advent means this. It means the coming into place view or being the arrival of a notable person, thing, or event. Well, that person that's arriving, the one that we're celebrating and getting ready for, of course, is Jesus. Uh, This time of year, we celebrate a a big church word called the incarnation, when God literally uh, took on flesh. God with skin on came to earth and uh, came and lived among us. Jesus came to rescue us. Jesus came to restore humanity. So when I say that Advent is a season for us to prepare our hearts for for the Lord's arrival, uh, another way to put it would be it's a season of you and I getting in touch with how lost we are without Him and how wonderfully found we are with Him. And we're going to do that this year. Uh, We're going to accomplish that by looking at uh, some Christmas carols. And uh, I've always thought this when we get into the Christmas season that in a culture that is changing so quickly where we really are in the West, we're moving away from our, our roots in God, our, you know, our Christian roots. The culture's changing quickly. There really, there's, you know, there's, there are attempts to try to remove God from so much of our culture. It amazes me this time of year that as you're out you know, spending your money in the malls, that you hear over the speakers, blasting through the speakers, songs that literally are declaring the gospel message. Songs that are declaring the good news uh, about Jesus. You, you know, you flick around on the radio dial or however you listen to music and so many stations are playing songs that are loaded with scripture that are loaded with truth. And again, they're all pointing towards Jesus. So as we're going through this Advent series, each weekend what we're gonna do is we're, uh, we're gonna pick a different Christmas carol and then we're gonna draw from that Christmas carol either a, a phrase or a section and we'll use that as a jumping off point to, to, to help us prepare our hearts for the arrival of Jesus. And it's, it's important to remember when we talk about Christmas carols that Uh, most Christmas carols were not originally written to be Christmas carols. They were originally written as worship songs. And, you know, songs for the church to sing where someone, you know, an author wrote a song and, and was just trying to capture something of the character of God or trying to capture something of the mystery and, and just the, the wonder of the birth of Jesus or uh, what we see over and over in so many Christmas carols, we see someone trying to capture just how lost humanity is apart uh, from Jesus. So this weekend, the carol that I've chosen is O Holy Night. And I think, I'm pretty sure, O Holy Night is my favorite Christmas carol. Uh, It is both lyrically and melodically uh, such a moving uh, song. It was originally written as a poem in 1847 by a French man named Placide Capot. And the story is that this man uh, wrote this poem Uh, while he was bouncing along in a carriage on his way to uh, Paris. Uh, They'd just opened a Costco there and he was going to do some shopping. I've I've added in a little bit. But uh, it was very soon after that when he got to Paris, he gave this poem to a good friend of his, a a guy who was a famous uh, opera composer named Adolphe 
Adam. And the song was first sung in France, en français, in French, on Christmas Eve uh, 1847. And then in 1855, the song was translated into English by an American minister named John Sullivan Dwight. And I think this is really cool. This is something I certainly did not know. In 1906, O Holy Night was the first song uh, in the United States to be broadcast live over the radio waves. Did you know that? I didn't know that. Um, up to this point, the only thing being transmitted over radio waves was would have been Morse code. And if you're a Morse code, I, don't, I hope I didn't say something offensive there. But uh, that was the only thing. But on Christmas Eve, and I really am not making this up. You can Google this. Nin- Christmas Eve, 1906, a Canadian engineer named Reginald Fessenden uh, broadcast from Brant Rock, Massachusetts. And the broadcast was meant for uh, naval ships that were in the area. And the story goes that Reginald started the broadcast by playing some of Handel's music on his phonograph, and then he proceeded to play O Holy Night live on the radio uh, on his violin. And here's here's what really convinces me that this guy was Canadian. He was quoted as saying about his violin playing or his, his rendition of the song, it was erroneously but understandably played. So that's like, the, that's like a, a, a more intellectual version of what Canadians are known for of saying, I'm sorry. We're sorry about everything. But uh, he even sang the final verse as he played his violin. And again, he was quoted as saying, the singing, of course, was not very good. This guy had some issues. But, uh, but that's a little bit of history on the song. And so uh, not only are we going to look at a Christmas carol each weekend, we're also going to play a version of a Christmas carol every weekend. And what we're going to listen to right now, the version I have picked of O Holy Night, and believe me, go on Spotify, there are probably 50 versions uh, uh, of, of this song, 50 renditions. The one I'm picking is, is by a husband and wife duo. It's a very gentle uh, version. It's called uh, by Jess and Gabriel. That's their names. And so this is O Holy Night. Let's listen and then we'll pray after this. It's very gentle. Can you hear it? O Holy Night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night. Of our dear Savior's birth Long lay the world In sin and error pining Till he appears And the soul felt its worth A thrill of hope The weary world rejoices Taught us to love. 
Thank you so much for this season, and uh, I pray uh, that as we kick off this series, I pray that you would prepare our hearts. I pray that this Christmas there'd be something very special about this Christmas. I pray that we would be more in tune with your presence than we've ever been. Lord, we thank you for your presence here today, and we pray that you would uh, just come close, teach us something new about you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. So the goal in this series is to pick a Christmas carol and then to draw uh, a section from it or a phrase. And so I want to focus on from O Holy Night is found in the first verse. It's the first four lines. It says this. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope the weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. And I said in the intro that one of the cool things about Christmas carols is how they illustrate <clears throat> the good news about Jesus. And so I read through this, this song uh, many times, and uh, the part, this part jumped out at me, these four lines here from the song. They jumped out at me because when I looked at them, it's like, boy, they uh, totally illustrate the Christian life. And what I mean is this, uh, when you want to get baptized here at the vineyard, uh, our application process would be, you'd, you know, you'd come to a class and, and we'd give you an application to fill out. And part of that application is to answer four questions. <clears throat> Describe your life before Jesus. What led you to make a decision to follow Jesus? Describe your life since entering into a relationship with Jesus. And then the fourth would be, tell us why you want to be baptized. So those first three questions, I totally see them captured here. And so number one in your notes, very simply, is before Jesus. Before Jesus. I mean, just think of that phrase, before Jesus, before meeting Jesus, before knowing Jesus. Uh, uh, what is the human condition apart from Jesus? Right? What is the human condition? What is the life of someone who doesn't know Jesus? I mean, how would the Bible describe someone like that? There are many ways that the Bible describes that. Um, here's just a few. One is a person who doesn't know Jesus, before Jesus. That kind of person is someone who is not, uh, who is not fully alive, the Bible says. Uh, the Bible says that a person who does not yet know Jesus is a person who is lost. They're lost. 
The Bible says that to live life without Jesus is like living life in constant darkness. Uh, the first line paints a picture of life without Jesus. And again, that first line says, long lay the world in sin and error pining. And when I read that, I thought, you know, I don't know if I've ever used the word pining in a sentence, right? I mean, like, how are you doing today? Ah, I'm pining. Really? Ah, I'm sorry that you're pining. I'm sorry. But uh, it's important to really get a sense or to really see the picture that's being painted. It's important to know what pining means. And here's what it means. Pining means to yearn deeply, to suffer with longing, to long painfully. Okay, that's pretty heavy. That's a pretty weighted word. So to say that long lay the world in sin and error pining, the picture that this, this writer is, is painting is a really heavy one. It's a picture of people who are so lost and confused. And who, like, like literally who are stu- living their lives stumbling around in the dark, off balance. But there are people who have a sense that this isn't the way it's supposed to be. And so they are longing, they are yearning, and that longing is such a strong, deep longing that it actually hurts. I mean, this, this lyric captures a very real, uh, a very real truth. And that truth would be this. When we say long lay the world in sin and error pining, it totally captures what we see in the scriptures. Matthew 9, 36 says this. When he saw the crowds, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. What is life like before Jesus? It's just like that. It's living life like sheep without a shepherd. Now, when I say that, I'm sure for most of us, we're not a shepherding, you know, sheep culture. So for us, I think think some of the the meaning of that is lost. Uh, um, But if you asked a shepherd about sheep, and, and especially about domestic sheep. See, domestic sheep, the sheep that you know, come to our minds when we, when we hear a passage like this, domestic sheep are meant to have a shepherd. There's sheep out there like, I don't know, the only one that comes to mind, like bighorn sheep. There's wild sheep, if you will. They can survive on their own, but a domestic sheep, those kind of sheep are in big trouble if they don't have a shepherd. Those sheep, literally, domestic sheep are so needy that they have to be led to water that they can drink, you know, calm pools of water. If it's fast water, we don't know what to do, right? I need a straw. But it's like, okay, that's the last time you'll hear me say, well, one more. But they, like, they literally need to be led to quiet waters. They need to be led to good uh, pastures green. Okay, you can eat this. They need to be led in pathways that are safe, right? They're super needy. When I look at domestic sheep, I think that's the human condition. Like, human beings, we were not made to figure life out on our own. I mean, like, we weren't. We are just like domestic sheep. We were created, God created us not to be alone. God created us to be in a relationship with him. He created us to have a shepherd. He created us to know Jesus, to be led through this life by Jesus. I was talking with a friend earlier this week, and he has a, him and a, another guy have a podcast. Uh, he's up in Boston. And uh, the podcast is called The Art of Growth. And here's their, sort of their, you know, their buzz phrase. It's hack patterns of self-sabotage and fulfill potential. And they have over 10,000 listeners to their podcast. And my buddy does personal coaching for people. 
uh, here in the United States. He coaches people around the world in different countries. And as we were talking last week and knowing what I was going to be, you know, preaching on this weekend, we were talking about this theme and, and, and he said, you know, what he sees and what he has to talk about and, and, and coach people through over and over, uh, the themes that he sees totally confirm that apart from Jesus, human beings really are like sheep without a shepherd. He says that the common themes that he is having to coach people in, it's, it's people who either have a very low sense or no sense of identity. Like, I don't know who I am. Or people who have either a, a very low sense or no sense of purpose in their lives. Or people who have a very deep sense, like a pining, if you will, of, of feeling lost and feeling lonely. I mean, can you relate to that? I mean, maybe that describes your life now, or think back to your life before Jesus. Would that describe your life? A sense of living life like you're in the dark all the time, which is super, it's scary, and it's disorienting. I mean, you're, you're, it's like you're always off balance. I mean, does, can you relate to that? In, in a sense, your, uh, uh, your sin and error pining, your lostness, I would say if, if we had a chance to hear people's story, your lostness was the thing that actually turned you towards Jesus. You know, that sense of being lost and mixed with that longing was literally the thing that brought you to your senses or brought you to a place to saying yes to Jesus. And, you know, as I was thinking about that, you know, think about your life before Christ, I realized that I uh, don't relate to that. And what I mean is this. I was totally raised in the church. I, this is an exaggeration, but I feel like I was born in a church pew. Like, sit up. Well, I'm just a baby. <laughs> sit up. But it's like, I mean, how many of you can relate to that? Like, I've always known about Jesus. I don't know a time in my life where I never knew about Jesus. Anyone else? Just one? Come on, I know you guys. There's way more of you. Right? So here's, here's the thing that I realized in that. I mean, and I am, I mean, there never was a time where I didn't know about Jesus or the stories, the big stories in the Bible. I literally was, I mean, everywhere you went in our house, there were Bibles. And, and so I've been surrounded by all that. But here's, and, and I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that I was raised in the church. I'm thankful uh, that I had an awareness. I grew up with an awareness of Jesus. But here's something, and see if this fits you. This is something I, I realize I've struggled with. One of the dangers is when you know a lot about someone, but if you don't actually know someone, there's a big, big difference there. Um, you know, in knowing a lot about Jesus, in knowing a lot about the expectations of followers of Jesus, I realized because of my brokenness, and I know I'm not alone with this, that, that you know, we're so performance-oriented that when I look back on my before Jesus times, uh, my, what I did is I embraced the rules over the relationship. And so while, you know, for some of you, your sin and error pining was the thing that, that drove you to Jesus, I realized in my life, my sin and error pining, my lostness, actually caused me to hide from Jesus. Because my lostness, my struggle, was, was, in my eyes, was failure. Does that make sense? I mean, can you relate to that? It was, it was like I wasn't able to do what was expected of me. And, and so, so whether you were raised in the church or not, what I'm trying to establish here is that before Jesus Human beings are lost. We really are like sheep without a shepherd. We really are in a place where we need to be saved. Listen to this, this quote. Uh, it's a poem. Look how long the weary world waited, locked in its lonely cell, guilty as a prisoner. As you can imagine, it sang and whistled in the dark. It hoped 
It paced and puttered about, tidying its little piles of inconsequence. It wept from the weight of weariness, draped like shackles on its wrists. It raged and wailed against the walls of its own plate. But there was nothing the world could do to find its own freedom. The door was shut tight. It could only be opened from the outside. Who could believe the latch would be turned by a pink flower, the tiny hand of a newborn baby? That poem's pointing to Jesus, the newborn baby. And so, again, in this season of Advent, it's a season for you and I to get in touch with how lost we are without Jesus, before Jesus, and how wonderfully found we are with him. So that leads to our second point. Number two is meeting Jesus. Pretty simple. Before Jesus, meeting Jesus. And again, one of the themes that we see in uh, lots of Christmas carols is we see that theme of incarnation where God took on skin and came down to earth to, to live among us, Jesus. That's what we're getting ready, you know, the birth of Jesus. And, and one of the things that I love about the Christmas story is, is the length that, that God went to rescue us. He sent Jesus down and Jesus came in a very humble, lowly way to earth. And Jesus lived a very hard life on, here on earth. And he, so what I'm saying in that is Jesus is familiar with our struggles and just the, how hard it is to live life and to be a human. And, and he, he came to a place, he actually came to the place, the deep, dark places of our lostness and he came to rescue us. And, and so the song says this, it says, long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. <clears throat> and I think one of the reasons why I love O Holy Night, besides the melody, which is just so beautiful, is I love that, that line right there, till he appeared. Because what I love about those three words is that it doesn't say uh, till we figured it out or till we found him, right? What, we, what that says until he appeared, what that says is... Uh, that our God is a pursuing God. Our God loves you. And just like the, you know, the story of the good shepherd where he's lost one little lamb and he, and he goes out and, and to find that one lamb, that is what God is like. God loves us so much that he goes looking for us. God loves, who, you know, who is the loved one in your family or a friend that, that you worry about, that you're, you know, you're praying for? He loves them. And his heart towards them is to go after them and to rescue them, and, and, and to, to restore them. Uh, uh, again, this Christmas carol captures what we see in the Bible. Matthew 4, 16 says, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And for those who lived in the land where death casts its shadow, a light has shined. Again, there's a picture there. I mean, what, you know, before Jesus, darkness. You meet Jesus. What is that like when you meet Jesus? It's just like that scripture says. When you meet Jesus, it's literally like being in a dark room and poof, someone turns the lights on, right? And, and so suddenly now, suddenly now you don't feel so lost. You don't feel so off balance because now your surroundings are a little clearer. You're way more aware of what's going on around you. And, and do you remember uh, last year, uh, the, the soccer team, the, the young, the, a bunch of young boys in, that were trapped in the caves in Thailand. Do you remember that? Huge thing on the news. 
And, you know, the story was these, this, this soccer team with their young coach, they were, you know, exploring these caves and it started to rain and the, and the water started to rise in these caves. And so they had to go deeper and deeper into the caves to get away from the, you know, the flood waters. And where they finally discovered them, they were literally huddled at the back of a cave on a, on a rise that sloped down uh, to the water. And, and they would have been like many days in darkness. Now the truth is they had some flashlights, which, but they would have used them very sparingly. So here they are sitting in darkness and one day uh, they heard noise, like down the hill in the water they heard noise. And the coach said to one of the players, a boy named Sam on, hey, you go check it out. It's like, thanks coach. <laughs> you know, there's something in the dark splashing in the water. You need to go see what that is. I'm like, yeah, pick someone else. But this young boy, when he comes over the rise, what he sees is, he looks down and he sees in the water the lights of the divers as they're swimming up in this, you know, this dark flood water. And, and as, this, as the divers started surfacing, the young boy described it this way. He said, I was shocked. It was actually real. There was someone there. I was really excited. I didn't know what to say. All I was able to say was hello. So all we said was hello to each other. It was very magical. I was very surprised. I was very shocked. When you're lost in the dark, light, light is a total game changer. When you're lost in the dark, light immediately, immediately impacts the situation, doesn't it? Uh, but here's the thing, one of the things I want to draw out from this story, the story of these boys in the cave that I think really impacts something or points to something in our lives. Let me ask you a question. With the appearing of the divers, was everything fixed? That's a question. With the appearing of the divers, was everything fixed? No. No, it wasn't. Everyone's nervous. I know it's a trick. I'm not going to be embarrassed. It's not a trick. It's pretty big. So was everything fixed? No, everything wasn't fixed. They still had, if you're familiar with the story, they had an amazing task ahead of them to try to rescue these young boys. Rescuing takes time. But, but just the appearing totally changed their predicament. As that light shone in that dark cave, everything changed for them. Why? Because hope is here. Like, okay, we're, we're not stuck. Suddenly we're connected to life. Suddenly we're connected to the outside world. We're not, this isn't the end for us. Right? They, totally, they totally have a sense of hope breaking in as the light was breaking in. And it is the same for us. Right before Jesus, we're in the dark. Like helpless sheep without a shepherd. But when you meet Jesus, and I don't just mean you learn something new about Jesus. I mean that you really meet Jesus. Like you really experience, encounter something of the presence of God. Like when that happens, and I, I know so many of you, and I know this has happened many times in your life, but when you encounter the presence of God, something inside of you goes, like hope is here. I've, I, have just, I, have just, I have just been touched by, I've just experienced someone who really can make a difference who really can rescue, who really can, you know, set us free from this predicament. I don't feel a lost anymore. I'm, I, you know, I found my shepherd, right? There's something that goes off in us when you meet Jesus and, and it's, and, but, but I want to point this out. But just like the boys in the cave, the appearance of the divers was totally a game changer. 
but they still had to walk out the rescue operation. And it is the same for us. So number three in your notes is this. The difference Jesus makes. Before Jesus, meeting Jesus, the difference Jesus makes. Meeting Jesus really does change everything. But at the same time, it doesn't change everything. And what I'm getting at here is uh, uh, something that I believe if we, if we were honest, it's something that we, if you're a follower of Jesus, it's something that we all struggle with. Uh, really, it's one of the challenges, one of the realities that I, causes a lot of people to, to lose their faith, to, to uh, you know, sort of walk away from the Lord. And, it, and this, what I'm talking about is totally addressed in O Holy Night. So let me finish the, this, these four lines. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth, a thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. The last two lines uh, from these lyrics totally capture a biblical truth. And it's something we talk a lot about in the vineyard and it's this phrase, the now and the not yet. This is a tension that we live in as Christians, meaning the now is, the now is when Jesus came to earth, remember our Sermon on the Mount series, when Jesus came to earth, he came announcing the kingdom of God is here. And wherever Jesus went, amazing, life-giving, life-changing things happened. But then, you know, so Jesus, the kingdom of God is breaking in. But then Jesus, a little bit later, he's, he's teaching his disciples how to pray. Teaching us how to pray. And one of the prayers is, uh, your kingdom come. Your will be done. And that teaches us that while the kingdom of God is here, it's not fully here yet. We won't fully experience the full kingdom of God until Jesus comes back the second time. And that time, he's not coming back as a little baby boy. He's coming back, you know, he's coming back on a war horse, you know, the, the mighty, mighty warrior. But, but so here's where this is being captured in, this, in, this, uh, in these lyrics that the now is, where we experience the now is that when you've met Jesus, we see this in the lyric, Till he appears. When Jesus appears, what happens? The soul feels its worth. When you connect with Jesus, you connect with the one who is life. When you connect with Jesus, you connect with the one who is love, who is hope. And, and because of that, a thrill of hope is unleashed on planet earth. And because of that, the weary world rejoices, right? The one, you know, our rescue is here. The really, someone is here now, Jesus is here now, that, that he really does know the way out, of this place where we're trapped. He really does. Jesus is the way out. So that's the now. In meeting Jesus, we get a taste of what's to come. But then there's the not yet part. And we see that in the lyric where it says, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. There's talking about something that's not here yet. It's talking about something that's out yonder, right? And so it's, it's not fully here. We have, a full, uh, we have a taste, but the full of experience of the life God has for us is something yet to come. And again, this carol totally captures the word of God. Romans 8.22 says this. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan. Even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children. Including the new bodies he has promised us. We were given this hope when we were saved. When we met Jesus. 
But think about it. If we already have something, we don't need to. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. Like, isn't that one of the things that really is hard about following Jesus? That in between. That's the that's the tension that we live in as human beings now. Like, like think about this. Uh, you know, on the cross, the Bible says that on the cross, Jesus broke the power that sin has over us as human beings. Romans 6, 6 says this. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. The power sin has over us, it's broken. The Bible says that on the cross, Jesus paid the penalty for our sins. 1 John 2, 2, Jesus died in our place to take away our sins, and Jesus is the way that all people can have their sins taken away too. Like when I look at that, he's broken the power of sin over us. He's paid the penalty uh, of, of, of our sins for us. When I look at that, when I look at that kind of victory, all that was accomplished on the cross through the death and resurrection of Jesus, when I look at that, you would think with that kind of victory that, that our struggle with sin would be over. Like, don't, doesn't that, doesn't that, that's where my mind goes. It's like two plus two, two plus two is four, Jesus. I mean, and, but here's the truth. Jesus has freed us from the power of sin. He's freed us from the penalty of sin. But for whatever reason, he has not yet freed us from the presence of sin. We still struggle with temptation. I know I do, and I know, I know you do. Or, or, or how about this? You meet Jesus, you read in the Bible, and, and, and you get in touch with the hope of heaven. You get in touch with the promise of eternal life. Right? Jesus said this to his followers, John 14, 2. There are many rooms in my Father's house. I would not tell you this if it were not true. I am going there to prepare a place for you. After I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back, then I will take you to be with me so that you may be where I am. What an incredible promise. I mean, I don't think a day goes by that I don't go, I can't wait to go to heaven. I think it's gonna be awesome, way beyond awesome. But here's the thing, Jesus, we get this incredible promise and then Jesus goes, oh, but here's the the fine print, but you're gonna have to die first. Right, you're gonna live forever, but unless I return This side of heaven, you're going to have to die. You're going to have to walk through that doorway of death. And for everybody, whether you're my follower or not, your bodies are going to break down. And things are just going to stop working. And it's going to be hard. Now, that doesn't mean we don't pray for healing. Because I believe one of the reasons we pray for healing and why God does still heal people is because it's one of the ways that he shines light into dark places. It's one of the ways he encouraged us throughout this journey. But when I look at that, if I were God, right, when I look at those things, like, like why would God, in a sense, save us but not save us? I'm not sure I want to say it that way, but it sort of feels that way. I hope you're tracking. Well, we'll find out in the, in the visitor's welcome afterwards if there's a lineup. But what I mean is if I was God, and somebody said yes to me, right? Someone, you, as a human being, you encounter something of, of Jesus and you go, you know, I've got a lot of questions about you, but if you really are who you say that you are, well, then I want to be with you. I want to follow you. Like when someone steps into that place of belief, if I was God, I would, like fishing, I'd, woof, I'd yank them off planet Earth and up into heaven. 
Because why would you leave them down here in a place where they're going to struggle all the time? Why would you leave them down here where they're going to get sick and things aren't going to go right and things are going to be unfair and your faith is going to get rattled constantly? If I was God, I'd be like, get them out of there quick. <laughs> they're not going to last. They're not going to make it. So why? Why would God, why does he leave us here to struggle in the same way other, uh, same ways other people struggle? Well, you know what? I believe that's where the number three is the difference Jesus makes. I believe that one of the main reasons we are left on planet Earth to walk this road that other people walk is because now we get to share with other people the difference Jesus makes. We get to share the hope that we have in him. Uh, I mean, when I, when I look at this, that, that the appearing of Jesus, the light of Jesus, meeting Jesus changes our inaccurate earthly perspective to a true kingdom perspective. What does that mean? What I mean is this. The longer you walk with Jesus, one of the things that he wants to teach you is he wants to, he wants to rearrange your perspective. He wants to teach you that this short life here on earth, you know, however many years you get, this short life on earth is just a blip compared to Forever. And he wants to teach us how to live in this life with, with, uh, with eyes and understanding for this life. Well, like, I mean, well, what, what do I mean with that? Well, see, I believe this time on earth, the time that we have before we go to heaven, God is letting this thing play out uh, because it's an opportunity for every human being, it's an opportunity for every human being to meet Jesus because he doesn't want one to be lost. And so he's waiting. He's not, he doesn't want to end it. He wants everyone to have an opportunity. Uh, this time on earth that we have, like once meeting Jesus, it's an opportunity for you and I as we slug through the stuff of life, as we learn to walk by faith and not by sight, it's an opportunity for us to grow in our relationship with him where we encounter, experience his love, his provision, his grace, his kindness, his forgiveness, on and on and on. And in that, we learn to trust him more. We learn to follow him more. And this time, I believe this side of heaven, the time that you and I are given, it's a time for as we grow in our experience and understanding of him, that it's an opportunity now for us as the followers of Jesus to now turn and introduce other people to Jesus. Like what I'm saying, the third point, it's, it's where we get to share with people the difference Jesus makes in our lives. First Peter 3.15 says, Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. See, hope, hope. If we have something, we don't hope for it, do we? Part of the tension we live in is we are hoping, we are looking forward to something that's out yonder. That's one of the, one of the that's called faith. Right? That's called living a life of faith. And, and so we're just like anyone else. We struggle just like anyone else. Life overwhelms us just like anyone else. But we have a God who has made a promise to us that we are learning to understand more and we're experiencing more is that our God says, son, daughter, you're never alone. I'm always with you. And isn't it, isn't it just, I mean, I know you've experienced this where you're in a hard, scary place and you just go, oh, Jesus. And it's like, it's not all fixed, but something changes. Because you know what? Poof, a light just went on in that dark place. And you know you're not alone. You know these with you. So we, we struggle just like anyone else. We, we still struggle with sin. 
Just like people, lots of people who have who want nothing to do with God. We struggle the same way with temptation. But, but, and hopefully we're struggling less and less. Or I mean, not struggling less, but hopefully we're saying yes to God as we walk with him and mature. And, and hopefully we're saying no to our desires more, etc. But what we have, the hope we have is that we have a God who says, I know your condition. I know you're just like a little boy, little girl that can't avoid the dirty mud puddles. <laughs> and so no matter, you know, I, I, I dress you up and woohoo, you go and run in a mud puddle and you get yourself all dirty. It's sort of a picture of, you know, sin. And, but we have a God who says, I've provided for your washing on the cross. I paid for all your sins. Does that not give you hope to know that you can feel clean that's awesome. Uh, we worry just like anyone else. We're anxious just like anyone else. We're up at 3 a.m. just like anyone else going, oh, what are we going to do? We're no different. But, well, in the sense that we struggle with that, but where we are different. The hope we have as followers of Jesus is that we have a God who loves to make exchanges. The, the first Bible verse uh, my mom taught me when I was a little boy was 1 Peter 5, 7. And it says, and it's basically, it's God saying, hey, I'm a God who likes to make exchanges. It's give all your worries to me because I care for you. That's God's heart towards you. Like, what's worrying you right now? Son, daughter, give it to me. Give it to me. And in exchange, I'm gonna give you peace. I'm gonna give you hope. I'm gonna give you wisdom or whatever is needed in that situation. Um, we grieve when a loved one dies. Of course we do. But we grieve with hope because, because we know all about this. We know about eternity. When a loved one who knows Jesus, when they pass away, really, they, they just got sprung. They just got, they just got set free. They're really living life now. See, we're still here because we get to walk the same road other people walk, but we get to share the hope that we have with Jesus, or because of Jesus. See, I'm saying this because I know there are people in your sphere of relationships where you work, where you go to school, your neighborhood, where you go to the gym, whatever it is, people that you next week are gonna have conversations with, and these people are in the before Jesus phase. And let me ask you this, how, you know, what is one of the, I mean, think of your before Jesus phase of your life, and how did Jesus appear to you? What was, what's the number one way that Jesus typically appears to people? It's because someone told you about Jesus, right? I mean, like, I would bet most of you are followers of Jesus right now because somebody told you about Jesus. See, if God removed us from the earth the moment we said yes to him, then who would tell your friends about Jesus? One of the areas that God wants to grow us here at VCDC, he wants to grow us as a church, is the ability and willingness to share the reason for our hope. He wants to teach you and I, uh, really sort of what uh, Sarah said in that last song, hey, that God would reveal the ways that he's been wonderful that God would reveal, would remind us the ways that knowing him really has made a difference in, in my life, right? That God wants to teach us how to share that hope with other people because that's, you know, that's his plan is to save the world through us, which is scary. If I were God, <laughs> I, I would find another plan, but because I know me. Yeah, that's what I meant by that, because I know me. 
But here's something, and I'm going to get more practical now, a helpful tool for doing that, a helpful tool for introducing people to Jesus. Who's ever heard of the course called Alpha? Alpha course. Alpha, Alpha, okay. So Alpha is a course, it started in the, in the UK over in Britain. It's been around since the early 90s. It's a nine-week course specifically for people who don't yet know Jesus, people who are before Jesus, people who have questions. And it's been updated a few times, you know, to keep it uh, just uh, culturally relevant, etc. But this course, the Alpha course, has been used by God to introduce thousands of people to Jesus. And so again, we're getting real practical. We're going to start our next Alpha class in January of 2020, next year. And I want to ask two things of you. One is we need helpers for this class. So out on the info counter, there's an Alpha sign, and then there's a sign-up sheet where you can sign up. Well, what are you signing up for? You're signing up for, uh, when you sign up, we're going to contact you, and then we are going to train you how to come alongside someone in the Alpha course and how to introduce another human being, someone who's seeking uh, how to introduce them to Jesus. So that's one, we need helpers. But number two is we need people. We need people that don't yet know Jesus to come to Alpha. So how is that gonna happen? That's gonna happen by you inviting those people that you're gonna talk with next week, that you're getting to know and you're having little conversations and they found out you're a Christian and maybe they're asking you questions that we want to invite, we want you to invite those people. And here's how we're gonna help you do that. You wanna throw that picture up, Gabe? So over in the, on either side of these speakers on the stage, there's, there are these baskets. And in the baskets, there's cards just like this. The ones in the baskets are a little smaller than those. But, but these cards, they have two sides. And on one side, you can see it's got the numbers. And so during ministry time or after the service, I want to invite you to, invite you to come on up, grab a card, and then write down one, two, three, one, two, or three people that are coming to your mind right now that are the people that you know you've been talking to. And I want you just to whoop, 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 write their names down. And then on the other side, it says VCDC Prayer Challenge, uh, Matthew 4.16. And the 4.16 has two purposes. One is, it's to remind you to pray for the people, the names you've written down, to pray for them at 4.16. I'm assuming p.m., but I know some of you have crazy schedules. So if it's 4.16 a.m., God especially will listen to that prayer. But I want you to pray for those people. And what do you pray for them? Well, it's Matthew 4.16. Remember that scripture says this. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And for those who lived in the land where death casts its shadow, a light has shined. That's what you pray for them. You know, Joe, Joe or Jesus, please shine your light on Joe. Please, you know, wherever, wherever Joe is trapped, shine your light. We want to ask you to pray for them. So that's during the ministry time or after the service, come on up and get him. But before we do that, I want to ask if we could all stand.